Our scripture lesson this morning is from the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. I will rebuke the locust for you so that it will not destroy the produce of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not be barren, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we're continuing uh, in our series this month uh, to talk about stewardship, uh, primarily about um, how to raise a generation in faith. Now, sometimes when we talk about stewardship, uh, folk get worried. Anytime the preacher starts talking about stewardship, you grab onto your wallet, uh, make sure that it's safe. And anytime uh, a church starts saying things like raise a generation in faith, sure sounds like someone's trying to build a building, right? But safe to say that stewardship is about more than what's in our wallet, and raising a generation uh, will take much more than a few extra bricks and mortar and sticks. Now, uh, I grew up in the woodlands. Uh, I grew up in the woodlands uh, from about age 10 on, and it was quick for me to realize that no one was actually from the woodlands. That was back in the days when there was like five to 6,000 folk that lived in the woodlands. Uh, real quickly, you began to realize that there were groups of people who kind of clumped together. Um, uh, the Woodlands was very much a, a product of the oil and gas industry. And so kids knew other kids because they'd been in uh, Saudi Arabia together, or they'd been in Alaska together, or they'd been somewhere in Kansas. There's like oil and gas. I don't, anyways. Uh, and so you had traveled around and you knew some of these folks. Now, my dad wasn't in oil and gas. He was a a stockbroker. He was one of these uh, live off commission. Uh, you don't eat it unless you, uh, you bag something, right? Um, I, I found um, growing up in the woodlands was interesting uh, because I was born in uh, Cocoa Beach, Florida. The big thing about Cocoa Beach, Florida was it was on the coast and uh, Ron John's surf shop was right there. Uh, unlike the woodlands where you had to have the right logo, uh, I think it was Izod back in those days, do I date myself? Uh, and um, you had to have the right clothes on, and you had to do this funky thing with um, rolling up the pants legs of your jeans when you wore your topsiders. Anybody? Anybody? No. All right, I got a nod over there, right? All right, so there was a way to wear things. Now in Florida, at Cocoa Beach, you wore a, a swimsuit and a ratty t-shirt and flip-flops because you were hoping mom was going to drop you off at the beach while she went to the grocery store. There was no idea of wearing the right stuff. Uh, we were uh, a few miles south of Cape Canaveral. Uh, one of the nice things about uh, being uh, in Cocoa Beach was when the shuttle would lift off, you could watch it clear the tower on the TV, walk outside and see it clear the trees as it headed down uh, towards uh, its track. Uh, it was a fascinating experience. Living in the woodlands, I realized very quickly that uh, people valued their things more than anything else. Uh, I watched as uh, kids that I knew turned 16, uh, one kid got a new, brand new, white convertible 
Jaguar. Now let's talk about wasting money. Um, that was back in the days when Jags were lemons, right? Like who actually bought a, anyways. Um, but to give it to a 16 year old, it was strange. The high school parking lot would fill up over the year as people turned 16 with some of the nicest cars that I'd ever seen. I drove a 1979 all metal Chevy Caprice station wagon. My favorite thing to do is to play chicken with the Mercedes. They tended to flinch before I did. Growing up at the Woodlands United Methodist Church was a place where I got grounded in the faith, where I learned to be fluent in the language of faith, uh, where I had a tight community that reminded me that there was something more than just the accumulation of things. I remember one of my youth counselors uh, telling me uh, much later when I was an adult about his story about how God became real to him. Uh, he told the story about how when they came to the woodlands, he picked out the largest church and the one that seemed to be the most affluent, and that's where they went. That on the first time he was invited to the men's retreat, he went not because he wanted to know more about Jesus, but because he thought, what a great opportunity uh, to pitch some sales opportunities and make some extra money. He too was a commission sales person. And as he worked the room during the retreat, racking up his hopeful commissions when he got home, he found that the men would continue to love and care for him, even though he seemed to be the Amway guy at the moment, uh, that as he worked his way through the retreat, God was less of something in the background, less of the wallpaper of the moment, but rather became a very personal and powerful moment in his life as he realized that God loved him, forgave him, and cared deeply for him. Uh, when the weekend was over, he found himself uh, attending church not for the opportunity of making more money, but for the opportunity of hearing more about this God who loved him deeply. So 20 years later, we find that his daughter, who he was raising there with his wife in uh, the woodlands, has become a missionary to China. Her and her husband have six children, uh, which, if you think about living in China, that's a uh, really big statement of counterculturalism, right? Uh, when you could only have one. They have two that are biological, and the other four are international adoptions. When you look at the picture of uh, their family that they send out regularly, reminding us to pray for them and to financially support them, it looks like their house is a microcosm of the global community. So how interesting is it that their pragmatic, hard-sell, salesman grandfather is the biggest supporter for the missionary in China. That instead of worrying about things, they've come to find that there is a higher purpose, a better purpose for their money and their time and their lives. Now, I picked Malachi chapter uh, 3, verse 8 through 11, not because it's a popular passage among people in the pews, nor is it popular among pastors. I mean, it's so life-giving to say, you rob God by not contributing to the stewardship. Wait, it doesn't say stewardship campaign, but you know, Malachi is a little hard-edged. Malachi is a prophet. Uh, anytime a prophet shows up on your doorstep, uh, remember, it's not a good thing. It's gonna get worse before it gets better. And Malachi reminds the people of God that they haven't lived up to their end of the bargain, that they haven't uh, trusted God. Instead, they've ignored God, that they've questioned God at every turn, that they've become bored with what God offers them. And they often take shortcuts to limit their expense in temple sacrifices. 
And Malachi says to him, let's be done with the flowery poetic language. Let's just name it what it is. You're robbing God. And they reply, how do we rob God? And Malachi says, God says you rob him by not bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse. And here Malachi says, God says, test me in this, that I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing upon you. Now let's be careful. We are not health and wealth prosperity gospel folk. We don't believe that God is a great vending machine, and if we say the right prayers and attend the right ways, that BMWs and Mercedes will fall out of the sky into our driveway. We don't believe that, uh, that the only way to God is through uh, getting more things, but rather we recognize that sometimes suffering in the name of Jesus is exactly what it means to be faithful followers of God. And so it's not that uh, if we uh, tithe, if we fill out the pledge card, if we bump our giving 10%, that then God's going to allow us to win the lottery as well. Listen to what Malachi says about the kind of blessing that God will pour out. It's not a whole lot of Cadillac chariots, but rather it's a healing of their land. I will uh, rebuke the pests who destroy your pro produce. I will heal your soil your vines will no longer be barren. This is not winning the lottery, friends. This is healing the wounds of the past. Can we take a moment and talk about that whole test me in this? Is it right to test God? I mean, we're not all uh, completely biblically literate, but we know that Jesus was tempted by Satan by taking him to the top of the temple and said, throw yourself down. And won't the angels come and rescue you? And Jesus says, uh, the scriptures say, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But here Malachi says, test me in this. Now it's not test me as in here, I will miraculously save you from your uh, foolish adrenaline experiences, but rather it's, I will fulfill the covenant if you'll fulfill the covenant as well. Test me in this, that my words are not honest and true and have integrity. If you will only join me in the partnership, alone you can do nothing. But test me in this together, as Pastor Kate said, we can do amazing things. We can take those apples and make apple pie for the rest of the world. It's a hard thing to preach uh, Malachi chapter 3. It's not one that kind of brings the crowds in. Nobody's excited to be blamed or uh, to be accused of robbing God, but it, it works pretty well. We're, we're not so sure what to do with our money. If the earth is the world's and all that is in it, we seem to be hoarding our own little piece of the pie over in our corner it appears that our uh, uh, creed that we live by is not the Apostles' Creed, but the creed that uh, he who dies with the most toys wins. Now, John Wesley, our uh, church uh, heritage, has something to say about how uh, we spend our money. Um, I'd hope that the title for the sermon would be, Are We Spenders, Are We Earners, or Are We Givers? And John Wesley would say, well, we are all three of those John Wesley told the uh, uh, Methodist societies that they should earn all they can, make as much as you can. Hey, that sounds a lot like uh, what we think. He said, but be careful that you don't put your health at risk in how you work, 
Wesley was one of the first to speak out against child labor, and so he would say that working in the coal mines was not a good place to work. You should find a place that preserves your health. He probably would say to uh, American workers today, you should take your vacation because we are the least likely among the global community uh, to rest. We seem to think that we are um, living to work, not working to live. And then uh, he says, once you have earned all that you can earn, you should save all that you can save. Now, when I think about that, I think of like the bank account, right? And putting a whole lot of money in the bank account. What John Wesley thought saving was, was keep your expenses as low as possible. Only take the things that are necessary. Don't be extravagant in paying for things that aren't necessary. Now, I imagine I'd have to argue with John Wesley about whether high-speed internet is a necessity or not. I'd be willing to go to the mat with him on that. But see, John Wesley had a very interesting experience. The Methodist societies originally paid him 28 pounds for his work a year. And he found that he could live on those 28 pounds. And each year after, the societies gave him a raise. Is there a member of SPRC in the house? And uh, for his whole 60 60 years uh, career as a leader of the Methodist societies, all the way to 1791, he continued to live only on 28 pounds even though his yearly salary grew to be 1,400 pounds a year. He took care of the necessities, and then he gave away everything else. John Wesley said, earn all you can, save all you can, so that you can give all you can. Now, John Wesley gave all he could. He, he, he did that 28-pound living expense because there was one day in the winter when he opened his door, uh, the young maid had come to clean his house, and um, he noticed that she did not have a coat on. She just had a thin cotton dress. It was freezing outside. He knew that she had walked a mile. Uh, he is under the habit, uh, or, or, or had the habit of reflexively uh, grabbing money out of his pocket to make sure that those that didn't have enough would. And this was one of those moments where he put his hand into his pocket and he pulled out and he had not, he didn't have enough for this young lady to go and get a winter coat. And as she cleaned the house and then left, he began to reflect on why he didn't have enough to give to her. And it was only last week that he had accepted the delivery of paintings that he had commissioned um, for the home that he was living in. That prior to that, the walls were blank and he wanted something that would be fitting of a a leader of the Methodist societies until he realized he'd spent so much money on those commissioned paintings that he had nothing left in his pocket to care for those who didn't have enough to buy a coat to wear. So John Wesley believed it was important for us to earn all we can, not at the risk of our health, that we should save all we can, not hoarding it into a bank account, but rather making sure we kept our expenses low and that we should give all we can. I think when Malachi says, test me in this, and I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you, that it might be, uh, look at the blessing it is when we gather together, not just to eat our own apples, but to celebrate and offering apple pie to the world around us. What is it like when we uh, bring all of our resources together, not out of uh, blame or shame, not out of guilt, uh, not out of uh, the requirement that the preacher shook his finger at you, but rather because there's something exciting, something more, something amazing that God might do with us. 
Some churches are satisfied with turn-up ministry. Are you familiar with that phrase? Uh, that turn-up ministry is when you open up the doors, some people turn up, and that's success. But if you have a, a sanctuary that seats 250 and only 100 show up, is that success? Is turning up good enough for Jesus? Or maybe God has called us into the future uh, to make the world a different place in Jesus' name. Maybe God has called us to form disciples, to raise a generation. And so I invite you to prayerfully consider, what is the gospel given to you? How much have you received from a real relationship with God? How much have you received by being part of a church, maybe this church here at Chapelwood? And having received all of that, what might it be like to take a resurrection-sized risk to make a difference in someone else's lives? Uh, Bishop um, Will Willimon said, apparently God has gifted us with a whole lot of grandparents. Maybe it's time for us to adopt a generation as our grandchildren as we form them in the faith for the future. So friends, as you uh, think about how best you'll respond to the stewardship emphasis this month, I hope that you'll be thinking not about how well we'll pay the light bill, but how well we'll leave the light on so that this community might know of us, not as people who follow a God in a hypocritical way, but rather follow a God who is loving and caring and has open arms ready to invite us in. When was the last time you heard of a real hope? When was the last time someone offered you real transformation? And not five easy ways to get your kids to obey, not six easy remedies to put more hair on your head, but real hope and real change. When was the last time someone challenged you, told you that the one who created you has a special purpose for you, something more than nine to five, something more than paying the taxes, but making a difference in the world around you. It's the kind of dream that we think that God is dreaming here at Chapelwood. We think it's the dream that Malachi had for the people of God. We believe that there's nothing magical. It's just a matter of uh, bringing what we have to share with each other so that God might do new things through us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. If today's the day to join the church, I'd be surprised because no one joins on Stewardship Sunday. Um, but if it is, uh, come on down and talk to Pastor Kate and I. We'd love to plan for the day when you become a part of the family of faith. Uh, but for now, uh, let's continue with our uh, closing hymn. Great, I'm imagining that there are Stephen ministers who are here, but they just haven't found their way up uh, to the altar rail. If so, come on up. Um, uh, if you've got a, the blue Stephen minister shirt on, uh, if you need somebody to pray with you or would like to arrange some care, either in response to a celebration or a difficult time, you can come right here. Uh, the Stephen ministers would love to pray with you. Uh, and there's even a Sunday school classroom available if we need to have some more private or confidential conversation. It's a very nice color of blue. That's right. Um, so Betty Phillips uh, certainly um, will be available as a Stephen minister uh, to uh, offer care if that's what you need. Uh, for now, let's uh, grab a hand or, or reach out, connect with somebody. Uh, not everybody's comfortable with holding hands, but, but hold somebody's. Um, and uh, 
let's uh, um, have a blessing. I've uh, gotten uh, lazy uh, closing my eyes and treating the benediction like a prayer. It's more of a blessing with eyes open because you're about to head out into the world. Uh, Since we head out into the world, friends, let's take our next step in faith. Not because it's convenient, not because it's easy, but because the next step will draw us closer to Jesus and help us together with God raise a generation in faith. Go in peace this day. Amen.